Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. My next guest is a Forbes Council member and believes an integrated approach to marketing plays a critical role within the revenue team. With over 20 years of experience, I'm excited to welcome Sean Herring, the current VP of Marketing for PandaDoc, a fast-growing and leading all-in-one document automation software company. Known for appreciating learning curves and respecting the process of testing methods and strategies without fear of being wrong, please welcome Sean to the show. Sean, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? I am, and I'm very excited for this, so thank you for having me on. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, and, you know, as I mentioned, we were kind of chatting a little bit before we went ahead and pressed uh, that record button. We're really excited to have you on. We know um, you've written a lot of great stuff. We've been following you. We're excited to dive in. But with this first question, it's not so much of a curveball in any way, but I think many of us are curious. Uh, you know, if you could just give us a brief look at your professional journey and perhaps how you found yourself in the exciting role of VP marketing at PandaDoc. Yeah, uh, this could be a very long discussion <laughs> or this could be a very short one. So I'll try to somewhere, I'll hit it somewhere in the middle. Sounds good. Uh, uh, I started my career out, I thought I wanted to be a doctor. And so I went to, I did biology, psychology, sociology as my undergrad degrees. And I quickly got burned out of school. Uh, and then I took a year off between uh, college and med school and realized that I, I liked making money more than I think I liked the medicine that I was going to try to practice on. And so I had an ethical dilemma and I was like, I don't want to be that kind of doctor. So I was like, I'm just going to work, go work at places that will pay me. Uh, and then I got bored really quickly when I stopped learning. So I went and worked at a bank and I worked at, as an intern. Uh, and I really, I realized I liked the money, but I love to learn. Mm -hmm. So how could I combine the two? Um, I found my way into a healthcare company that allowed me to use both of those and they helped me progress. But the one thing that I kept asking myself was, how does the company make money? When you get into a very large organization, sometimes you don't even know how much that money that company makes. Uh, and so that started my path from going on e-commerce and kind of behind the scenes. I was more on the technology side mm -hmm. to more on the marketing side. And I started to just follow the money. Where, where does the money come from? How do you get more of it? What, what does the business do with it? And that's what I started to really like marketing. So I latched onto marketing pretty early in my career. But I felt like I wasn't learning as much in a healthcare industry. And that's when I got exposed to software. Mm. Software moves really fast. It is constantly changing. And so an always-on learning mentality um, really kind of stuck with me. And that's what I really liked. And when I found the world of SaaS, uh, Exact Target was the first company that I worked for that was a truly SaaS company. And that was 10 years, 11 years ago. Um, I found marketing and software were the two things that I really, really liked doing. So how could I do as much of that as possible for the rest of my career? Mm -hmm. And taking that mentality 
Um, I went from exact target to trying to start my own company, having some success and some failure, joining some other companies along the way. And then PandaDoc happened to be in that sweet spot where I found maybe my the best way I could apply my skill set of knowing technology and learning and marketing was taking companies from a certain range to another certain inflection point. So 10 to 100 million is kind of like where I think I, I fit really well mm-hmm. with companies. And PandaDoc was looking to do that. And so I was asked to join. And uh, we've done a lot over the last two and a half to three years. And I'm, I've been loving every second of it because I am able to apply the marketing, the technology, as well as the, the constant, and I can't emphasize that enough, learning process of day over day, week over week, and month over month. We're going to get back to learning in a moment, but in one super quick, faster than a, you know elevator pitch, what is it? What is PandaDoc, and and what is the value that you bring to customers? Just yeah. super, fast. Uh, super fast. PandaDoc is a work a document workflow automation platform, and our goal is to make it easier to do documents um, that are faster, so better speed, but get better insights around them. Mm-hmm. have a better workflow of how you get them in approved and sent to your customer all while having the best experience possible like that is the value that we bring to our customers that want to get documents done quickly sign me up <laughs> yeah. trust me our our, our ceo um we, we take this as our tagline we like to take the work out of document workflow that's I what we're trying to do I think it's brilliant. So, okay. I'm going to put that to the side for a moment because I do want to come back on something that you had said when you were explaining your career path. And you had said early on that if you weren't learning, it was kind of becoming dead end, right? It was, there was no point in going forward. And I know that, you know, if you enter your name into Google, uh, I don't know if you've ever done this oh, or no. recently. <laughs> Not, not recently. <laughs> so it's all good things. Um, but something that does come up, and this is something that caught my attention early on, um, is that you talk a lot about learning curves. And you are known uh, in the industry for your, what I like to call, passionate calm um, in respecting those processes of testing methods and strategies without the fear of being wrong. And I think in marketing, that's a really important phrase to have all of those words in that order together. But so many of us, especially marketers listening in, right? We're so nervous that our jobs are going to be on the line if we can't deliver on time or the right results within, you know, a certain time frame. or, you know, worst case, we're wrong. Um, what advice based off of kind of your experiences, would you give to us fellow marketers, marketing leadership, right? in those very demanding roles to have to deliver about understanding the learning curve, guiding their teams through it, or having those difficult conversations, you know, when, when things haven't gone as smooth as you'd hoped, you could take any angle of that. Oh man, there's so many angles. I'll, I'll come at it with three different angles that I see. Uh, the first one is you have to be in an organization that understands it. And if you're not, you need to inform the organization as soon as humanly possible. Uh, There are jobs where you cannot be wrong. There are jobs where the buck stops with you. And sometimes the organization does not like when marketers are wrong. Uh, So if you are in the learning, the test of the iteration mindset, you might not be a good fit for those types of organizations. Usually they're very, they're very large. Usually they have a 
a history of we, we did this in the past, so we're going to do this in the future. Um, and I'm overgeneralizing, but I have experienced that. You know, in my career, I have experienced companies where it's like it's not okay to miss a number and there will be consequences. And it's like, yeah, that's fair. And you have a business to run. However, that's the first bucket is you got to gut check the org. Like more than anything, does the senior leadership and executive team understand that the second bucket that I'm going to talk about, the second piece of my responses, uh, if I learned anything, marketing is a constant experiment. And a statement that I usually make is, I'm never going to be right. I'm just going to be less wrong day over day, week over week. Um, I took this from biology, like the science classes that I had in college. I figured out I actually could apply them to marketing uh, because that's always an experiment. There's nothing that's the same from yesterday to today, especially in the digital age. And so setting that expectation up front as soon as you can. If you are in an org that does not understand that marketing is a constant experiment and you have to be wrong in order to get closer to right, you know, like if, in order to just, there's no black and white, um, then you need to start educating the company and the leadership that if you want to grow, you have to do things differently. To do things differently, you have to be open to having success and failure. And they're, they're intertwined. And so if you can't enter an organization where that's already embedded in the DNA, then either you find another organization or you start to embed it. Mm. And you have to just start with, I might be wrong, right? Or my hypothesis is, but if you start to use these phrases up front, and then you're actually radically transparent about the failure, um, that goes into the third bucket of be the first one that when you miss or when it's off, what did you learn? Be the first one to share those insights instead of the last one that's reacting to it. And that's the one lesson I learned the hard way multiple times is bad news isn't always bad news unless you're the one that's having to defend it, right? Share mm-hmm. it first. Hey, that didn't go as planned. Here's what I'm thinking about trying next. It's a completely different conversation than when the CEO or your boss says, Hey, three weeks ago, you said you were going to do this. Where's the results? Oh, it didn't work. Well, why didn't you tell me? Mm -hmm. Right? That's a different conversation than, hey, I'm doing this experiment. I think it's going to look like this. I'll give you an update about halfway through. Hey, it's not trending in the right direction. Here's what I'm learning about it. We're going to see if we can pivot it, but it looks like I might have been wrong. Notice those are two completely separate conversations. Uh, And so when I, that's kind of my response in those three big buckets is find the right org. Make sure you're setting the expectation that marketing is a gray area. It's not a black and white area. You're constantly figuring out how to make black and white out of gray. And that third bucket, be the first to admit it. Like um, People will see the results when they're good. But when they're not good, they're surprised that you'll show them the results. It's, it's amazing what that does instill confidence. I really think that the way you just bucketed out that mindset is extremely helpful. But what I will say, right, with marketing, as you defined it being so gray and trying to constantly make black or white or, right, speaking the language of the rest of the organization, which oftentimes is speaking in language of black or white, um, right? Like 
there must be a lot of things keeping you up at night because I know just hearing that phrase of like, oh, it's gray. And how do we make black and white from gray? Right. I'm already starting to sweat. So I'm curious to know from you, Sean, what is it as a marketing professional that's keeping you up at night? Uh, a couple things. Uh, I would say number one is making sure I can set expectations and be proactive. I've learned more than anything that's been one of the, the downfalls that I had early in my career was I couldn't see ahead enough to be able to say, I think this is going to happen if we do this, this, and this. And without having a plan for people to react to, then you're the one that's reacting. And a marketer, that's the worst thing you could do is to be the one that's in the reactive mode. When every other place in the org is black and white, sales, it's black and white. Finance, black and white. HR, black and white. Product, you just go through every part of the org. There's very few other places that have to play in the gray. So the best way to get in front of that is try to set an expectation as far up as you can with some confidence. Even if it's a little bit of, I'm placing this bet, right? Telling people that you're doing that lets them know that you're going to be proactive and not reactive. I think the other thing that keeps me up at night is if, if I'm trying to set expectations, mm -hmm. um, it's always the people. Do I have the right people around me to help set those when I'm not there? Or am I working with other people that understand what those expectations mean that are on the receiving end? Right. So am I communicating effectively and having the right people around me that are receiving it or giving that communication in a meaningful way? Uh, that's another area that I didn't invest enough in early in my career that I've found like really well at PandaDoc is you might have people that are good at hearing things, but they, they're not really listening. Like, mm. yeah, yeah, I get it. No, no. Do you, under, do you understand? This might not work. Like, do you get that this could fail, which has this ripple effect? Yeah, I get it. So then when this happens, are, you, are we ready to take this next step? That's a whole different discussion. Uh, so those are the things that really keep me up at night are the people, the communication paths. And then ultimately, am I, am I being proactive instead of reactive? And when you're constantly in an environment that's changing, it's hard to be proactive. So that's definitely what keeps me up at night. So my next one, do you sleep, is, is natural. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately, uh, not as much as I'd like to say, put it that way. So listen, you know, I, I, I definitely, I, I can align a lot with the three, you know, um, things that keep you up at night, if you will. What I want to ask and take one further is some of those conversations, right, in, in terms of communication paths, right? I think as a marketer, we're expected to communicate well externally, but we're also, you know, we should also naturally be expected to communicate internally. And that's not always the case. What kind of conversations are you having with your team to ensure that they are indeed, whether it's understanding the expectation or whether it's understanding the direction, or if it's the higher ups, the CEOs and, you know, the, the board, let's say that you're setting those expectations clearly. What does that conversation you know, look, look like, what are, the, what, are, what are some of those confirmation questions that you're asking that you're seeing that green light flow? Or is it, you know, looking them in the eye on Zoom and seeing a little like, you know, smile? Like, is, is it body language? What are you looking for? Uh, 
So there's a couple of questions that you have packed in there, and I'll 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 try to unpack a few of them. Uh, one of them that uh, that stood out to me was the internal versus external marketing. Um, I think the orgs that do really well and the departments that do really well are actually better at internal marketing in order to get the external marketing to work. Uh, and and I've learned that through working with really really talented people that in order for marketing to get anything out into the world, it has to be bought in by the insight part of Mm -hmm. the org. So if you're not marketing internally, you're already behind. Um, So that's one thing that every marketer should think about. And marketing doesn't have to be a big ta-da moment. But it is. Like, what's the value? Why should somebody listen to you? If this is a crazy-ass idea, how do you get people bought in to support you when it gets out into the world? Right, and the, that's not a simple email. That's not a Slack thread. <laughs> uh, and so you might need to have some intentionality around it. And what you'll find is if you're spending ninety percent of your time marketing internal mm-hmm. and only ten percent external, then you're not doing a good job marketing internally. Right? It should be a balance. It should be maybe fifty fifty or sixty forty or forty sixty. But I have seen in organizations where nothing gets out the door because all you're doing is spinning internal on what should we say? How should we say it? So you can't get too far on indexed on one, mm-hmm. but also you can't assume too far on the other side because it will come back when somebody goes, why did we do this? And you'll have, you'll go, oh, I thought you knew. Right. We're back to no. being reactive. That's what we're trying to get away from. Yeah. So that big piece right there, I think that is one that uh, cannot be understated is you are marketing internally, whether you believe, whether you understand or not, it's happening around you. But when you ask about like, how do I get the aha moment? Uh, Part of it is qualitative and part of it is quantitative. Uh, The qualitative is, am I getting, um, not, not, it's not necessarily the right questions, but am I getting pulled by by the teams that I'm talking to, to do more, right? And an example might be, hey, we should let the sales team know that we're going to do this campaign. And if the sales leader and I have agreed to it, and we're working towards it, if the sales leader says, you know, it'd be great, maybe your team should present this. Awesome. So that my team maybe presents it to the sales leaders. And the sales leader go, well, this is great. Could someone present it to our individual teams, right? They're pulling. That's the qualitative. If the sales leader's like, nah, just run it and so we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay, something's not working, right? Like, clearly something hasn't clicked. Uh, and you can tell that pretty quickly where people are like, it's not important enough to spend time on it. Uh, that's one thing. But the quantitative is when you start to see how many people know what's going on. When you start to, when you start to run a campaign, how many people are already on board? I mean, can you count the number of people or can you, are you getting more requests of like, what is this? I don't understand. What do I do with it? And so you can just kind of start to measure up who is understanding the what and the why mm-hmm. before you put the how out there. And so those are the things that I start to use of there's a pull. There is a quantitative impact of whether it's on Slack and you're getting all the emojis of like, hey, this launched and everybody's like, yay, we knew it. Or you're getting these questions of like, whoa, what does it mean here? Where does this go? Where you get those one-offs. You get a pretty good pulse check quantitatively where it's either momentum behind you or resistance in front of you. I, I think you've explained that quite well. And I love that you brought up as your example, sales, right? Because sales and marketing, yeah. you know, <laughs> we're one in one. 
Um, and it kind of leads to my next question, right? You recently wrote an interesting piece that fell into my email called Marketing in an Era of Product-Led Growth. And what captured my attention is that you actually called out that the best path to revenue may not actually be what we've all traditionally focused on. And when I read that, I my, my jaw kind of dropped a bit because I, I never thought in that way before, but I was wondering if you could give us on this show a little insight you know, in your opinion, if, if not revenue, then what should we be focusing on? Yeah, you're, uh, there's a different way to take this. Uh, that statement is meant to be a little bit more provocative on... Let's get radically transparent and get provocative. Yeah, yeah. I think I grew up in an environment where marketing was there to support sales. Okay, and I mean sales as in the team. And even when I joined PandaDoc, you know, my mantra was... Marketing drives pipeline. Well, pipeline goes where? It goes to sales teams. And so when you start to think of it, there's a very myopic mindset as you start to look at how people, a majority of people, especially in B2B, have been thinking about marketing feeds sales, sales then closes deals, and it's the whole thing working together. Once you start to introduce different revenue mechanisms, and I would even call like a partner relationship a part of a sales relationship. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like under that branch. There's people involved. But once you start to introduce a product that can close deals, if you will, mm-hmm. on its own, the whole point of marketing is to drive revenue in the most efficient way and effective way possible. So we are here to drive revenue, but it might not be through the sales team. So if I start to look at where the bets I'm placing, we have four monetization streams at PandaDoc. We have self-service, which is the PLG motion. We have sales assisted. We have partners. And then we have expansion through our customers. So if you look at new revenue, those are the four paths. So my job is to figure out where, what bets I'm going to place and how much resource am I going to put in? And then what am I expected return on new business back out of that? And if I've got four levers to pull, why am I putting every, all of them into one when if I start to look at the numbers, maybe I should parse out some budget and just go straight at self-service. Because mm. that actually might return better money um, to the organization. And so PLG has introduced a different way of thinking. Like We've got to think revenue. Everybody talks a good game about like thinking revenue. But when you start to look at... If you're talking about revenue, but you have no way to impact it other than creating pipeline for sales, then you're kind of just riding along. Um, take a true revenue number. Marketing owns X amount of revenue and that's where we're headed as we start to look at PandaDoc going into 2022. It's not the leads. It's not even pipeline. It really is. Like, Are we contributing to a total revenue number and is it paying off in a way that I could go to the CFO and go, you give me another million dollars and I can produce this much more revenue. Mm-hmm. Not, not pipeline, not leads revenue. That changes the discussion completely when you can start to have those kind of discussions with um, I get out of the pipeline discussion because then you have to do calculations. Well, can the sales team close it? Is it the right product? I'm still going to have that, but that should be one-fourth of the discussion. The other three quarters are self-service and the sales assisted is that one. Partners, is there something better we could be doing with partners to drive a better ROI? And then 
maybe we should be focusing more on our customers. Shock, you know, like everybody's been talking about that for 20 years. And what we're finding right now is some of our investments, when it comes to product lines and when it comes to company sizes, in particular for us, it's actually better to invest in the self-service and the expansion than it is in the sales team. Interesting. And so the portfolio, I mean, if, if you invest, you got to diversify your portfolio. I think that was like <laughs> back in the day, I think that was my dad's first advice when I entered, you know, my final course in college, right? <laughs> diversify yeah, and, your portfolio. And you don't want to listen to them, but oh, Lord, your parents are right. <laughs> exactly. So marketing's an investment. I mean, it really is. And so you got to invest in a way that you can track your portfolio. And sometimes when you start to click down into the numbers, it's not always the sales path that's the most efficient or effective. It's just what we've known for so long that we got to get from marketing drives pipeline to marketing drives revenue. And that might take different, that might take different um, paths than what most people think. So I know we could probably talk about this topic for a really long time. And so I just want to name the article again for everyone listening. If you want to go and, and read it, it's called Marketing in an Era of Product-Led Growth. It's a fantastic article and it takes, you know, Sean and I's conversation right here and it, it brings you right back in. Um, but it's, it's a great article. So highly recommend the read. I have two more questions for you, Sean, before we wrap up. The, 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 the first of the two, right? Um, as an accomplished VP of marketing, I think throughout the episode, we've been listening, we've been learning, right? I think my learning curve has increased just now, just spending time with you. Um, but I'm really curious to know, what are some of the expe- expectations, excuse me, that you have of yourself as we head into 2022 as VP marketing at PandaDoc? Uh, I've got to get, I always try to look at like, what are the things that we're doing well and how do I do more of those? And that's, that's not what I'm going to discuss. Part of what I'm going to look at is how do I get better at the stuff that's going to scale the organization? Because we have an opportunity. And so when I look at head of marketing for PandaDoc, 2022 and beyond, it really is how am I going to scale revenue across geographies, mm-hmm. across product lines, as well as across business segments. And so what I need to do is start doing a better job of building a team that can handle the today, tomorrow, and this quarter while I start to tackle two, three quarters out and figuring out where do we need to start blazing some trails and making investments that are going to pay off in the future Mm. and get proactive. And so this last year has caught a lot of marketers in a reactive mode. And we're, we're digging out of it. But now I feel like going into 2022, it's my chance to actually start being much more proactive, carry all this momentum that we've got and think a quarter, two, three ahead on the product diversification. What's the revenue streams look like? Geographic um, distribution, as well as our segments. Like we have different company segment sizes that we could do completely different things for. And we're at the size of the company and the scale where it's time to start specializing in each of those approaches. So that's where my head's at right now. 
Well, that's an exciting place to be. I can speak from experience there. And I wish you, you know, much success in 2022. We all look forward to seeing PandaDoc thrive. And and who doesn't want, right, an automated way to make your life easier when it comes to docs. So uh, we're right there with you. My very last question, it's a tradition on this show. If I don't ask it, our our viewers start calling in, getting really upset. So Sean, I'm going to ask you our closing famous question. Can you share something with us today that we cannot find out on your LinkedIn profile about you? Uh, I'm an avid Beastie Boys fan. Oh, other than that, <laughs> other than that, uh, a lot of it's on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be sure to check out your LinkedIn profile for any, for everyone who is, uh, tuning in, tuning in on the YouTube channel. Um, you'll probably have seen Sean shirt, but for everyone listening in, I just want to say Sean is sporting a Panda doc shirt. Um, so <laughs> just wanted to give a shout out to represent everybody loves some, uh, nice swag and, uh, <laughs> So, so thanks for joining us, Sean, for getting radically transparent with us today. And uh, we look forward to, to continuing the conversation in 2022. I love it. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.